So, good morning. And good morning. Welcome to all of those joining us on Bear Island from other parts of the of the world uh, online. Today is Holy Thursday. This evening we begin the first liturgy of of the uh, of the Easter Mysteries with the Mass of the Lord's Supper, the founding of the ritual that became the Eucharist. So I thought today we might sort of backtrack uh, in the sequence of the story as we've been following it. Yesterday we left it um, after the trial and uh, just on the point of the, of the death of Jesus, which of course we commemorate tomorrow. So we go back a little bit to that uh, last supper that he shared with his disciples before Gethsemane. And in a way, Holy Thursday and Good Friday uh, are complementary. In a way, they both express the same, the heart of the mystery of, uh, of Easter um, and the passion. And it's the heart of caring, I think. The, the, the deep care that Jesus shows to humanity in these two different ways. But in both these ways, there is a self-giving, a self-offering, um, a sacrifice of self. So I thought we might explore uh, that mystery of, of Holy Thursday and of the Eucharist uh, this, this morning. The primary responsibility of parenthood is, I suppose, to ensure that the children uh, are fed. And that <laughs> the parents among you uh, recognize that. Um, and that's the, that's the basis. Then, of course, there's shelter and emotional care and development and allowing the child to to grow into, oh, here's a child. He's running into the arms of his father. Good. Hello, Ezekiel, yes, Ezekiel. So that primary responsibility is, I think, uh, to, to, to feed and to give the shelter that provide the basis for fuller development, fuller growth and, uh, and maturing. It's the basis on which all other kinds of caring uh, are built. If you neglect that basic care, then the other forms of care uh, don't really have much relevance. But we do not live on bread alone. We have to share, hello, we have to share what we have. We have to uh, be careful we don't eat too much that we eat healthily, and especially we have to be conscious uh, of the need, of the responsibility we have to feed the hungry and to help them to achieve the dignity of feeding themselves. With very, it's not just a question of bringing relief, temporary relief, the relief agencies of the world come into, hopefully, come into uh, action as when there's a famine or when there's a desperate crisis. But the, the real 
gift of caring is that we help uh, people to find the dignity, the self-respect that is involved in looking after themselves, in caring for themselves and helping them to care for others in need. So sustainable care. A, a, a very young child, uh, before he or she is able to feed themselves, is fed, either at the breast or you know, with a spoon. Um, and at the other end of life, the very old, the, the infirm, may often have to be fed because they are unable to feed themselves. So I think um, this is one basic natural way we could have of looking at the meaning, the spiritual meaning of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is obviously not about just having your daily intake of, of, of vitamins and, uh, and carbohydrates and everything else. Uh, but it is based upon that natural symbolism. Um, and the early uh, Christians apparently, we see a few examples of it in the scriptures and the records, um, didn't quite get that right. They, the agape meals, the Eucharists that they celebrated went over the top a bit. They began to drink a bit too much and eat too much. It was too much of a party. Well, I wouldn't say that is the problem today in the way we celebrate the Eucharist. It doesn't have much of a sense of a party in most cases. So getting the balance right is important. And also it's what is important is that we don't see the Eucharist just as being fed. Because that, I mean, one of the th things older, old people, or anyone really, would be frightened of and nervous about would be losing the dignity of being able to feed themselves, a very basic uh, human uh, uh, action. And when we're in, unable to feed ourselves, we know that we are temporarily or permanently moving into our sort of second childhood. So the Eucharist is not about passivity. It's not just about being fed, sitting in the pews and being told or being given what is good for us. There are two essential elements of the Eucharist that I think come out of the scripture re reading and uh, the text for today, which we'll listen to now, and which also becomes very obvious when the Eucharist can be celebrated in a, uh, uh, in a free way and in a meaningful way. And always, you know, we always remember, especially in the themes we've been looking at this week, the relationship between community and fidelity and betrayal. The community is not perfect. It will never be perfect. It's not a romantic experience uh, living in community. Um, and this is made very clear by the fact that 
at the beginning of this meal, Judas, the inevitability of betrayal will, is, is raised, uh, it disturbs the disciples to be told this, and Judas is there at the meal as well. So we have to keep that, keep that keeps us realistic. But during supper, he took bread, and having said the blessing, he broke it and gave it to them with the words, take this, this is my body. Then he took a cup and offered, having offered thanks to God, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant shed for many. I tell you this, never again shall I drink from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So then they sang the Passover hymn. This was the Passover meal. This was a, a religious ritual. Uh, for the Jews, especially today, after the era of the temple, uh, it, the home is the temple, really. The home is the place uh, as much as the synagogue where the religion is celebrated every Friday evening. And I remember a Jewish friend coming to, to Mass uh, once at our community, um, joint joining us and uh, on a Friday evening. And he, he said um, how similar it was you know, to uh, to, to the, the Seder meal on the, on the Shabbat meal. So, so this is a religious ritual. It's described here in very few words. Mark is the most economical of the gospel writers. And yet it says everything. It says, it, it, it shows us that the two essential elements of the Passover meal of the bread and wine become identified with Jesus or he identifies himself with them he goes as it were plunges deep into the into the symbolism of this ritual uh, and identifying himself with it he gives it he gives himself to his friends and in faith to us. Fully aware of the apocalyptic nature, the fact that this is going to be the last time he celebrates it, and that this is, although he's giving himself, that would include his life, his whole self, uh, it is also in the knowledge of his coming death. So, so the Eucharist is, is about this self-giving, but it's also about the distribution of food. It is given away, it is shared, as it is at a, at a table, at a family meal, or at a, wherever we gather to eat together. It's the most natural thing for us is to eat together, just as it's very natural for us to meditate together. It's just something built into our human nature and our communal nature. Aristotle, I think, said that we are 
man is a political animal. Well, we could say we, we are communal creatures. We, we need community, we thrive in community, we learn and grow through community. So the first element and, that, and the great sign of that community is the fellowship of the table, the, the family meal. Rarely, you know, much rarer now than it was in the past. But the family meal or Christmas or Thanksgiving, uh, times where we come together not just to talk, um, not just online, but we will travel halfway across the world, halfway across the country to be physically together around a table with food on the table. So the distribution of the food physically is the... Um, is one central aspect of the symbolism of the Eucharist. And the other is empowerment. The empowerment that this gives to the people who are sharing the food. So these two things, I think, take us into the, some aspects anyway, of the mystery of the Eucharist. The fact that the food is distributed and distributed equally and secondly, that the people who share it feel enriched and empowered. They're not being fed, they are sharing the, the, the meal. The great danger, of course, in the uh, liturgical celebration, the way it's become more formalized, more official, more rule-oriented, um, that the Eucharist becomes a passive uh, <clears throat> event in, uh, and even the, 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 the architecture of our, of our churches and the, the pews and the separation long distance sometimes from the altar. This doesn't disempower the Eucharist, but it certainly makes it more difficult for us, I think, to feel what the Eucharist, what the Mass, uh, really means. There's the danger that we sit in the pews and we're kind of trapped in the pew. Maybe one of those people who like to sit on the aisle, but if you, if you don't, you get stuck in the middle. A bit claustrophobic sometimes. And, uh, and that's it. And you're stuck there until, until the end. And, there's, and you have to keep quiet. You know, there isn't the opportunity to share, to break the word, to discuss the readings, for example. So, now, this, this, there's a certain inevitability about that. It's different when you celebrate the Eucharist in a small group where you can sit around a table or you can sit on the floor and share it. And, but many, many Christians don't, have never had that experience of a, really, of a real communal Eucharist, and it's eye-opening for them when they do. And I think for many young people who find going to church pretty uninteresting um, and something of an ordeal they have to put up with until they're old enough to choose for themselves, uh, for many young people to be able to celebrate the Eucharist in this more, let's say, communal but also contemplative way is an eye-opener. They begin to feel what the Eucharist really means.
for many people today looking for deeper personal experience, um, this is one of the characteristics of modern identity. We want to know, uh, we want to know for ourselves. We want to be able to feel the truth of what we're doing because we've discovered it, not because we've been told it. Truth is something we need to feel is revealed in us, something we can experiment with, experience, rather than just being told the answer. So for many, this is, this is just part of, our, of what it means to be alive in this period of time. And um, so this has disengaged many people from a form of religion in which we f they feel very passive. And like children who refuse food, they don't like this particular kind of food, they don't like this vegetable, or they don't like what's good for them, uh, they, have, they have left. <laughs> I'm fast asleep here. Yeah. It's very nice. It's I've never been happier to have people fall asleep during my talk. <laughs> anyway, so, the, no, 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 you can fall asleep. On. I've woken him up, sorry. Um, so this is, this is where we can see Jesus as a teacher. And he empowers his disciples. Now, he gives them, it's true, he gives them the bread and wine. That's his role in the, in the ritual. And in theologically speaking, uh, Jesus, in the Catholic tradition especially, Jesus is the celebrant of, of the Eucharist. The priest is, is there, obviously, but, uh, but it's really the, symbolically to represent the fact that it is Christ who is celebrating this, this distribution of the food of himself, the giving of himself, and the empowerment that follows from it. And this is why we have more recently refined our theology of, of, of the church and of the Eucharist to emphasize the, the, the priesthood of all believers, that actually it's not just the priest who has this magical power, but um, the priest is fulfilling a role that's a sacred role, it can be reverence, it can be appreciated. But it's not that this magical power just resides in him or her in other churches, um, but that the, the whole community gathered together around the table or sitting in front of it usually um, is, is filled with this uh, activity of Christ. So Christ is celebrating the Eucharist in all of the people there. That's the theology. The theology sometimes seems a little far removed from the feeling of the reality. So there is always this danger of passivity, of, being, of, of, of just being fed when we would like to actually share the food. Jesus is a teacher, rare and, in a, and unique, but rare in uh, religious history, who, whose main purpose 
is not to hold power, not to be on a pedestal, but to empower his disciples. And this becomes very clear throughout the gospel as he teaches them, not in order just to, just to hold them to himself, but to send them out then. As he does on one occasion, he sends them out to see, see how you can do this, to teach, to preach, and to heal. And they come back amazed at what they can do. And then right at, at the end, of course, after his uh, resurrection and his, his ascension, he again sends them out to the whole world to, to, to carry the message uh, that he both gave and that he embodies. So he says also, I will be with you until the end of time. But this doesn't mean that he does all the work. He even, in one passage, goes so far as to say, you will do even greater things than me because of how things have developed, because of the gift of the Spirit. So this is, this is very important for understanding both the Eucharist and the church itself and what Christian discipleship means, that we are not passive, we're not infantile, we're not kept in a subordinate relationship to the teacher, but the teacher is giving everything that he, in this case, can give us so that we ourselves can pass it on and uh, in different cultures and different generations across time and space, we can renew and expand and develop uh, the, the gift that he came to share. So he's a teacher who empowers us as his disciples. It's important to remember because teachers can be oppressive. It's a very delicate role and even in the academic world uh, or the medical world, um, your teacher can become you can, a rather unhealthy influence, can exert oppressive authority over you, control their students, and develop a dependency uh, among the students. Uh, in religious terms, there's the danger of guru, guruism or guru worship, where the teacher is not is, uh, you know, becomes the substitute for the self. And the responsibility of each person to find and be themselves. And when that happens, it isn't long before the, um, something goes wrong, badly goes wrong. We've seen it in the, you know, many examples of it over history in, in, in our own church, when churches so the, the way in which authority, the authority of the, the, the teacher can, can create unhealthy or dysfunctional uh, or even abusive uh, relationships. This is everything that Jesus does not embody, and everything he does not teach. At the Last Supper, we begin with two 
important moments that illustrate what the Eucharist means and what he means as our teacher. The first is the washing of the feet. This is what we will do at Mass today. Um, we try to get everybody in the church uh, to do it, but that takes that's a bit of an uphill struggle. So we may do it a little differently today. We can't force people to have their feet washed. And actually, this is exactly what happened at the Last Supper. So, you know, Peter, of course, refused to have his feet washed. And, uh, and, most, and I think a lot of people today in, in a more formal setting of a, of a church would also refuse it. Jean Vanier, the founder of L'Arche, uh, who is not a priest, uh, sees this washing of the feet as the lost sacrament of Christianity. This is the, the, gest this is the ritual or the, the gesture that Jesus actually says explicitly, you must do this to each other as I have done it to you. So this is a definite, specific example. He doesn't even say that about the Eucharist. It's distribution of the bread and wine. He doesn't say you have to consecrate bread and wine on a regular basis. What he does say is you have to wash each other's feet physically. And our resistance to this is very revealing. It's embarrassing. It's, it's making ourselves, it's exposing ourselves. Maybe we're not proud of our feet. Uh, it's humbling because to take your shoes and socks off make, makes you vulnerable. So for all sorts of reasons, out of just shyness or other reasons, uh, it's difficult to allow our feet to be washed by each other. In Peter's refusal, we see the uh, slightly different reason, not perhaps that he was embarrassed to take his shoes and socks off, because he probably wasn't wearing his shoes and socks, but that this was a, this was a, 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 a task that was performed by the waiter or the servant or the slave, not by the master. And uh, in some monasteries, uh, you w w will find that uh, there's not many, but in some, they decide to keep this idea of the, the Eucharistic uh, nature of community meals, because usually in the monastery you go straight from prayer to the dining room, uh, to the refectory. So sometimes the, the abbot uh, or the prior stands at the entrance to the refectory with a bowl and a jug of water and washes the hands of especially the guests probably who are, who are arriving, a symbolic gesture uh, that re re reminds us of Jesus at the beginning of the Last Supper. So Peter's resistance to this is our resistance to being, to being put on an equal footing, literally, with the person we have put on a pedestal. So Jesus is coming off his pedestal big time in this symbolic gesture. And it is very disturbing. 
um, as it would be disturbing, should be disturbing sometimes, for the priest in the, the liturgy to step outside or off this pedestal of separation that he's sometimes forced to occupy. Even you know, coming down from the altar to share the sign of peace, I think that was once forbidden, not long ago, but sometimes these things get forbidden and then get forgotten as well, like not allowing altar, 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 a girl altar service. So, but it, the reason behind that is this embarrassment or, and, of course, this fear of losing the structure of relationship that is embedded in the power relationship. So Jesus turns this conventional power relationship of teacher and disciple on its head uh, in a very disturbing way. And as Jean Vanier points out, we have tamed this radical gesture. Um, so now it is the priest who chooses a few of the people, representative people, from the congregation, and he washes their feet. But the empowerment that is happening in this gesture is that we, as he tells us, is that we should wash each other's feet. Not, that, not just that the priest or some minister washes our feet, but that we form a circle and perform this sacrament to each other. Anyway, that's the idea. Um, and there's a lot of resistance to it. But the explanation for this comes in the second important element that prepares us for the Last Supper, when Jesus says, now you've seen what I've done for you, and this is the meaning of it, that I, you call me Lord and Master, and you put me on this pedestal, and, okay, I, you know, he's more or less saying, I am your teacher. That is, that is not untrue. However, I call you not servants, but friends. I call you servants no longer. So this is a definitive turning point in the relationship. And this turning point is the revelation that the deepest, truest, uh, aspect of our relationship with him is friendship, not subservience. And what does friendship mean? It's a very important question for philosophers. The, the nature of friendship and the meaning of friendship became one of the first philosophical topics. We're back for the ancient Greeks. Um, Aristotle uh, I think it was Aristotle, said, you know, the, the life without friendship is not worth living. The, f the friend is another oneself. Another oneself. So this is not just casual friendship, you know, playing golf with, with some friends or going to the movies. This is a deeper experience of our, of our self in relationship to others or another. And 
friends of that kind we don't have often in our lives. So, so Jesus is explicitly calling us his friends or telling us this is how he sees us even if we can't see him in this way. But what is a friend? Well, the friend is another oneself. This comes out very clearly as we move into later in a few days into the meaning of the resurrection. Another oneself. And a friend must be an equal. There may be differences between you. you may have, they may have gifts that you don't have and you may have interests that they don't have. So there may be uh, a lot of differences between you. One, of, one may be successful, the other not successful in life. But if you see another person either as su essentially superior to you or essentially inferior to you, friendship is impossible. Friendship has to uh, grow in a equality of mutual respect and value. So if this is the case, our relationship to Jesus is transfigured. We recognize his unique nature and position, and yet we are equal with him. And secondly, we are, are told that if this is real for us, if we can really see him like this, then this will transform our relationship with each other and it will form, it will begin to form a new kind of community, which we call the church. Like any community, still imperfect. So in order for this to happen, it, as in all relationships, there has to be an optimum distance. That's what Jung said about all human relationships. That's not too close, otherwise you get smothered. Not too distant, otherwise you, you can't uh, uh, enact the intimacy uh, in, in various ways. Um, and the real presence that the meal, the Last Supper, it embodies, exemplifies, needs solitude. It needs this space. It needs the otherness of the one who is another oneself. So, once again, we see how the whole story is uh, built on paradox. Paradox is our way into the deeper levels of reality. And as we go into paradox, we awaken and need the contemplative consciousness. It's only with the contemplative mind that we can see paradox and not run away from it or not deny it. So the meaning of the Eucharist which is very paradoxical, 
is uh, revealed in contemplation. And a contemplative celebration of the Eucharist makes a big difference rather than just, you know, the 15-minute Mass or, or the over-elaborate, the over-grand liturgy. There are many ways we can have a meal. And sometimes it's, you know, two or three people uh, being very informal. Sometimes it's a, a family affair, but it's still a special event. So we bring out the best stuff to put on the table. Sometimes it's a state banquet, you know, or Mass at St. Peter's or in Canterbury Cathedral. So there are many different ways of having the meal. But to really understand the meaning of the Eucharist, we have to, I think, have at least some experience of celebrating it contemplatively, which means building into the uh, form of the Mass uh, times of silence and times of stillness. And this is what many celebrants uh, cannot do. They're frightened to do it, partly because they fear that the congregation will rebel or walk out or won't come back, which is not the experience, actually, that happens. When a priest does uh, take this risk and celebrate the Eucharist in a more contemplative way, maybe just putting five minutes of silence after communion or taking a few moments at the beginning or of, the, of the celebration or... Uh, few moments after the readings to allow them to sink in a little bit so it's not all just you know like an express train stopping at different uh, platforms for as short as possible so um, but when a priest does that I, I the, uh, the the people re rarely complain they might complain because they hadn't been told it was going to be 10 minutes longer than usual and they, they couldn't get their cars out of the parking lot. But they don't actually complain about those few extra minutes. So, unless we have some experience of what a contemplative celebration of the Eucharist might feel like, we get stuck at the idea that the Eucharist is some kind of passive rather than empowering event, we get fed rather than sharing the food, and eventually we kind of feel we lose the optimum distance and we become separated from it. So we stop going to church, or we never even think about going to church. And so at the heart of this is this uh, revelation of, the, of how Jesus sees us as friends uh, rather than just worshippers. And this disempowers the power structure that we often cling to for the sake of security. So we like, we like this distance between the priest up there and the people down here because uh, this is the way I've, we've always done it. This gives us a little sense of st security and stability in a changing world and so on for different reasons, different people. But, but what, what happens when we celebrate the Eucharist 
in a contemplative way is that the power structure is changed. There's still different roles, but the power structure between the, the, the uh, participants and with the celebrant and the people on the altar, all of that is seen very differently. So that means also that the Eucharist is actually forming and nourishing a community. And when that happens, we begin to see that the Eucharist is not a privilege of club membership. Um, and you have to have this card and pay your subscription in order to have the privileges of membership or you know, to be able to go into the lounge at, at an airport if you've got a gold card as a frequent traveler. But that's not really the nature of the gift, the self-giving aspect of the Eucharist. Quite the reverse. When we celebrate the Eucharist in a contemplative way, a, a, a community comes into being that exists not for itself, but for others. So it's not a community that simply reinforces its own identity by excluding others, which is one way you can reinforce your identity, is by saying to others you're not a member or you've broken some of the rules. Well, I think Judas broke a couple of rules too. He wasn't even he was not excluded. So should you be excluded because you divorced and remarried, for example, in the Catholic rule system at the moment, which is under review, but causing a lot of a lot of conflict. So I think what allows us to see this is the experience not just the theology, but the experience of celebrating the Mass in, uh, in this way. And the first step, let's just say, have five minutes or so of silence after communion. Just the first step. Real presence radicalizes all the power-based relationships in our lives. When we are really present, as Jesus, we say, is, has a real presence to us, then, and we become really present to that presence, and that means attention, it means the ability to be still, it means the ability to keep our mind in one place for five minutes or five seconds. So when we become really present to that real presence extended towards us, then the forms of relationship that we, we have in daily life, the, the power structures or the social structures that we have are all affected and undergo a change. And two things that would really change if we rediscovered 
the Eucharist in this sense would be patriarchy, a male-dominated power structure just doesn't fit into this experience, it would begin to change, not without a few explosions, but it would be undermined. And secondly, clericalism, which is in many cases related to this patriarchy, but where the priest is, is seen, is, is put often to their own discomfort uh, on this pedestal where, where there's no optimum distance, but there's a, a separation. So I think these are two, two things that, that would begin to change within the Christian community as soon as we begin to celebrate the Eucharist in this more contemplative way. So let's, um, let's leave it there. Uh, we can, we'll pick it up this afternoon a little more as we prepare for the uh, Mass of the Lord's Supper. And uh, we can share a little more about it, if you like, after, after meditation. So let's take a few minutes, a couple of minutes, to uh, prepare and have some, listen to some music. Let's, let's uh, stay silent in this room uh, and as we prepare for meditation.